0: and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, I speak with Patrick, whose jiu-jitsu practice has helped him unlearn mental patterns by getting comfortable operating in a vulnerable position. Enjoy. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us on the Relating to Self podcast. You are the owner of e-business brands, and you're working on a project called easierbusiness.com, which sounds interesting. And we met through the Dynamite Circle, a community for online entrepreneurs. And I always think it's really interesting when there's like different circles of mine overlapping, because this podcast about relating to self is usually... Like I usually have guests that come more from people who are like coaches or people who do therapy or people who have like, you know, IFS or authentic relating or anything like that. And it's not very often that we have someone who comes from the business world. So I'm really excited to hear about your relating to self.
1: Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here and talk about what it means to kind of better understand ourselves and how we can use that to connect with others with more congruence so to speak or coherence and how we make relationships unfold and that's an interest of mine that undoubtedly comes from you know the business world you have to make connections with people and a lot of times the limits in our business are internal what's going Mm -hmm. on inside us sometimes someone told me the other day it's not what you do it's who you are and that's something that i feel you know applies in my own experience
0: Beautiful. I'm sure we'll get back to that. But first, I would like to very simply know when you hear relating to self, what does that bring up in you? What does it mean for you?
1: I find that when I'm reflecting upon myself and my relationship to my experience sort of day to day, I think it prompts in me the desire to connect to something greater than myself to a creator or a divine intelligence or god however you think about that and that would be from which the source i feel like that self has come from but i think it's also very much a human sort of visceral experience of sort of being in my body and and the sometimes the tension between trying to live in my head i've I've been told in my sort of personality types that i'm a kind of a thinker very much in the logical kind of link thinking and doing and in many respects i can sit at my desk and and be in my head for hours and forget that i'm thirsty you know and just sort of feel like relating to myself as often for me it's like yeah you've got a body (laughs) yeah you were thirsty why didn't you notice So I think, I guess, to the extent there's a spiritual aspect that comes to mind then, but then also just like very practical, am I thirsty, (laughs) am I tired, Um, do I get up and move around?
0: I actually believe that this is one of the most simple and most powerful ways to start connecting with these ideas around how you relate to yourself. It's like simply noticing what you need. I think that's a very basic kind of practice that you can have. And indeed, I often give the example. Of like just giving myself a glass of water can be an act of self-love it's something i need and i gift it to myself and for many years just like you i very often forgot (laughs) to either eat or drink or stuff like that so i'm curious about how you started discovering that you had a body
1: you know i had an interest in physical sports, athletics, and basically as expressed through martial arts for a long time. So on the one hand, I can be very much up in my head and trying to figure things out. And I can sit at my desk and work for hours without remembering I'm thirsty, but I'm also very drawn to physical pursuits. So jujitsu is my sport. It's been my project of the last 11 years. And before that, I did other things that were in a similar vein and, and to be able to feel the, it's a grappling sport. So it's basically wrestling and to the point of a submission. So what that means is that you give up because you're in danger you know, or you are literally, you know, strangulation, <laughs> uh, breaking of joints. Yeah. That is not supposed to happen. You stop before that happens. And that's how, you know, you lost which some people think is ridiculous, but I find great uh, comfort in just the expression of being in, you know, in my body and how I can relate to it. So in that sense, I get a pretty good feedback mechanism several times a week and have been for years. So I guess I'm as much as I am in often the mental mode I try and find several times a week where I can have a very intense sort of back to the things like you talk about the breath or people think about the breath and can, you know, remembering the breath and the meditative practice. Um, nothing's more basic than when you're literally being strangled. <laughs> That's uh, to sort of connect with that and to feel like it's not a, panic moment even though it may be quite urgent i mean i've been doing it for a long time so i've i've sort of advanced in my capacity to be near strangulation and still move or think effectively Mm. it's just probably a strange thing to talk about now that i say it out loud
0: yeah but it's interesting in several respects i think i think the um, i hear that you basically have two modes of being almost, right? The, the mode where you are in your head, you're an entrepreneur, you're solving problems, and then sometimes you forget to drink. But then to compensate that almost several times per week, you go into, I would say, very, very extreme and intense physical practice, way more intense than any of my physical practices. And I'm curious if that second part has informed the first part. Do you feel that you are more aware of your body while working, thanks to your jujitsu practice?
1: I would have to say undoubtedly, yes. Although like after all these years, I still can be stuck in my head for hours and forget to drink. Like that's a simple thing that shouldn't be that hard. I've got a water glass here at my desk, but it's also it's shaped me psychologically in the way that it's been so much uh, in my experience, a pursuit for business success and some degree this relates back to my kind of current experiment, which is going on at easierbusiness.com, which is I want the next 20 years of my entrepreneurial career to be easier, to feel easier. And what that means is part of the what we're defining as we publish content and material there is to it's like my own exploration of how to make my next 20 years feel easier. And jujitsu has a quality to it that is a little bit counterintuitive to other sort of fighting styles. Like for example, I came also a background in wrestling, which is like a Olympic style wrestling or in the United States, they call it folk style wrestling and so on. And that's a very much to be on top always is a key idea. And then another one is to apply great pressure and do so from the top and to never, example, be on the bottom and to never, ever turn and fall to your back. But it turns out that it's really useful. In fact, it's, it's very likely that in a fight, you would fall to your back. It happens all the time. And so to train in that way, that's what jujitsu is sort of known for in some ways is to be effective at defending yourself from lying on your back on the ground. And there is a little bit of a surrender in that. And there's also one of the qualities that made jujitsu famous when it kind of came into the United States about 20 years ago was a smaller, less muscular man was really effective at defending himself and winning, essentially, against much larger and stronger men. And so if I make an analogy to business, it would be there's... I've, I've dealt a lot of my career in smaller companies. I've not really been interested in helping the biggest Fortune 500 companies or largest corporations be better. I'd like to help small entrepreneurial companies. And there often is a place from being the underdog, so to speak, and feeling like we have to be a little scrappy, a little innovative what can you use to your strength? Where do you have strength? And so for example, one of the things advantageously in jujitsu is when you're lying on your back, you have available to you, your legs. And, and by that, I mean, I can wrap my legs around someone who has much bigger arms or a much bigger body, but my legs are pretty strong relative to speaking, to anything having to do with his neck or his arms. And I can be effective at sort of winning or covering and in a place where I would otherwise look very vulnerable. For me, in other words, I feel like I've been unlearning so many of my mental patterns of the first part of my both business and athletic career by becoming much more comfortable with operating in a vulnerable position, not trying to force myself, say, physically. And I say that from the standpoint of, a business owner. Like, I mean, I would get up once upon a time earlier than anyone and get to the office earlier. And, you know, I remember the experience of like at one point I kept getting up earlier and earlier at my first, you know, five, seven years as I had a startup software company with a great deal of pressure to build. Um, at the time, it was like, I was trying to build a combination of Shopify, WordPress, and MailChimp. <laughs> and, and none of those even existed at that point. I think this was like before WordPress was and before MailChimp. Shopify got started after a few years of I'd been doing it. I had this whole vision of what was needed at that time, and none of those things really existed, except maybe MailChimp. But in any event, I had this big vision and I had to like, get up earlier and earlier in the day to get it all done. And I remember at one point I, I got to the office so early, I had to walk. Uh, I lived in a town where I walked to work. And, and I would walk past the coffee shop that had not yet opened. I don't know. know, Whenever coffee shop people get in there and, you know, the bakery lights come on and whatever, like they hadn't opened yet. There I am walking through the snow to turn on the lights in my office. Mm -hmm. And that's a, so we say working harder was my strategy. And both in my business today and the attitude I want to take to it, that easier business, you know, experiment. And then I think also in my physical expression of my body, the ways in which jujitsu has helped me undo and rewind in a way back to a place where I'm much more comfortable being effective at the game. When I say jujitsu is kind of a fighting, it's really a game. It's like a in some ways, a strategy game of thinking about how you solve this puzzle of being engaged with another human body and all of his strength expressing itself. And the game is for me to figure out how to do so with the least amount of effort and be effective. And I find myself having these little games, these little puzzles, they take about five minutes to play out. And that five minute little puzzle game, I can draw some huge analogies to a business like maybe the business puzzle takes five years to play out. Like, how is this business going to work out? What's the results I'll get from this product and these markets and so on. And that takes me five years. And then jujitsu, like, it's five minutes and it's, I can, I can draw some like larger lesson, um, in into that five minute window very much intensely in my body. that I can feel it translates to a business unfolding over years. That's been my experience.
0: Hmm. I really love that you said that you were unlearning mental patterns by getting comfortable operating in a vulnerable position. And, well, I speak a lot about vulnerability here on the podcast, and I'm really curious if that has also impacted the way that you dealt with your life emotionally from, you know, perspective of being vulnerable in, for example, uh, an intimate relationship with your partner or your parents or your children or anything like that do you feel that you have come to a place where you can also be more vulnerable because of that insights that you because of the insights you gain from jiu jitsu
1: well i i can say that you know i've been married for just about 26 years and in that context i've had lots of opportunities to reflect on my sort of emotional immaturities which seem <laughs> to be noticed by my partner with great accuracy. And undoubtedly, she's been someone who's helped me, you know, mirrored back or reflected back to me those things. And, and so I'd have to say yes. But I'd say that I still feel like there's so much more that could be developed. And so I had a chance, for example, just this past weekend, we ran an event as part of this easier business project. And I found myself, uh, it was unusual because it was a business sort of team development sort of training experience, but we involved horses. And there's, I think, a tradition that's pretty well established around equine therapy. And so if you have therapists who listen to this or, or I've heard of equine therapists, that's something that has been like a real balm to many people. And I had an experience where, we sent our son uh, last year, he was in a car accident and, d- and developed a lot of uh, so I say, trauma around the fears of being in another accident and driving in cars and just very tense. And we sent him to an equine therapist. And it was a wonderful way for him to kind of connect to what he was feeling, the emotions in his body and how to work through things with the feedback mechanism of his partner, the horse Anyways, we ran this event last weekend, and I had myself in a situation of standing in a round pen um, relating to a horse that, in this particular instance, was wild. I think they called him feral. He'd never been touched before except to be captured and castrated. So he was a little alarmed at my presence in the, the round pen. And... And the practice was essentially to be in a relationship with that horse for a period of time, to connect to it, to attach, you know, by like physical proximity, or to detach and, in the case, you not know, get kicked because the horse was a little, well, wild. Another, there are other horses there that were not that way, but that's in an any event where I end up. And so, you know, it's a chance in that case to there's an emotional kind of tension that you can bring, it's a little bit of fear. I don't have a lot of experience with horses, so just even being around an animal that large is bringing a little anxiety to it, you know? But also horses are super sensitive. And I, there was a woman there at our event, and she had a background in, I want to say neurobiology, but basically imaging the brain and MRI imaging, if that means anything. And she showed a picture on her phone of her brain and the aspect of the brain, sort of the limbic aspect that is very much touched in with the emotional center. And then she showed a comparable image of a horse's brain and the relative space of that brain that is dedicated to the limbic system of the emotional response. It's you know, it's it's a huge fraction of the horse's brain and a much, much smaller little nugget, you know, in the human brain and so when you're in a relationship with a horse you're dealing with a creature that has this extraordinary sensitivity to emotions and and one of the things that i i learned or was kind of i wanted to have a chance to experience was as i understand that horses will recognize the dissonance in you if you are feeling something in your emotional body and then not sort of being honest and expressing that. Like, it feels like a deception. Their sensation of what you are feeling emotionally will be pretty darn accurate. Through years of evolution as a prey, animal, they are perceptive to the predator sensation of, you know, that guy... He's given, you know, he's, he's, I could feel this one thing, but then he's kind of given off this other sense that's like not in coherence and like that's scary. So to be in relationship with an animal that is so highly attuned to predator energy and also by that, also a sense of force, you know, or domination, um, predation, it's a wonderful way of kind of reflecting back about self awareness, you know this relationship with itself, to have this extraordinary feedback from a large animal that's paying super close attention to you, and the degree to which that animal can relax in your presence, at physical proximity, not disassociate from you out of fear or just boredom. And to to maintain a connection, you know, and, and not just with the eyes, but you know the, the body too. So man, it was quite an experience this weekend to the people came to our event. I think we're able to give me some feedback that that was a wonderful way of really feeling into where their emotional development is at. And also being able to sense when, for example, they felt frustrated, like, I'm getting, I'm getting upset with myself because I'm not doing this right. Oh, it's, it's not really working or that was so wonderful to have that connection. And it did, I felt the sense that I was able to be present. And so I think that there's, there's parallels there to how we relate to people on our team and business, you know, what kind of leader we want to be. And so that's where the people I partnered with in this event, there's um, an organization called Natural Lifemanship. And one of the co-founders is named Tim Job, And he's the one who, recently told me you know, it's not really what you do it's who you are
0: that sounds fascinating and i have to say we've encountered many many different types of therapy over the conversations i've had on this podcast but no one has ever spoken about equine therapy or you know using horses i think it's absolutely fascinating what you said about the fact that horses will recognize this dissonance in you so I guess if I could rephrase it, some kind of lack of integrity in in how you feel and how you present, and i'm I'm really curious about this, like what does it feel like to be in the presence of a being who has that capacity but who is not able to communicate it in words, right because I think that's what usually happens when we have that kind of feedback with humans. It's like, hey, Patrick, I perceive or I have a story that maybe you're angry because I see your face, you know, has a certain expression. The horse can't say that. So I'm, I'm really curious about what it felt like for you to notice that interaction and to have that reflection about your relationship with yourself.
1: Well, it's brutally honest. So I think there's no illusions. and horses aren't the least bit concerned about your feelings as far as like, -hmm. If you bring a team of people like in a business context, you know, that team to be developed or team building or whatever, the leader of that team is, of course, known and recognized by all the others. You could imagine some, you know, contrived interactions you could have in a business training kind of setting. And of course, everyone there like defers or at least is different in how they relate to the leader of that team. And a horse can look at a group of six or seven people. And not have the slightest interest in which one is the CEO. And so so that is meaning that their response to you is deeply honest and therefore can feel humbling, humiliating some ways. If you feel like you bring a lot of pride, you're like, I want to get this right, you know, or I want to be the person on the team who like does a good job with the horses, and of course, how could you not sort of have that feeling in any kind of situation where maybe there's a business and you feel likely competitive, or you're evaluated, you know, and you want to be doing it right, you know, and, and it can bring some people to tears. Hmm. In some respects, that honesty is refreshing though. And, you know, I found myself um, like just one of the exercises, if you could imagine that you're in a round pen it's maybe 35 feet across, I don't know, give or take. So not that big. And the animal's, you know, big, big animal and there's you. And so what we're looking to do is not have a situation where the horse is turned away from you, eyes away, and maybe like out of boredom, just like nibbling on some grass on the ground. Like that's not being really in connected relationship with the horse. It's basically ignoring you. And boy, you... <laughs> it is very hard for a human being to go into a situation where they're being ignored. (laughs) And so that can be like one of the most difficult situations to plain be ignored. Like, I just don't have any acknowledgement of you. It's not interesting. It's not engaging. And you're not bringing your presence in a way that wants me to connect with you. Like so much out of our, well, in a business setting, you know, out of politeness, you know, like I just came from an e- event in Austin where I live and you know, lots of people were polite to me there and hmm. pretended to be interested for two or three minutes at least. <laughs>
0: yeah, amazing.
1: Horses, horses, nah, you're not going to well, get that.
0: I have to smile because in a way, what I hear you say about the horses and the effect this, this brutal honesty is something I've been exploring in my relationship to myself. Uh, well, for a while but especially in the last few weeks it's been it's been intense and i have this kind of focus on seeing what's real i want to see what's real i'm i'm fed up with trying to pretend i'm something i'm not to myself right because all of this is mostly to myself i'm afraid of things so i behave in ways that i think will mitigate that fear and i've been really uncovering layers of like okay but what is real Like, what do I really want? What am I really afraid of? What is it that I'm really avoiding? And so on. And well, interestingly, um, something you may not know yet, because we've actually worked together in the past as uh, entrepreneurs, is that part of that exploration for me in seeing what's real is that I've decided to step away from the company that I was leading because I finally understood that that was not my real desire to be leading that organization to be leading that team to be working on this specific project right and so i'm curious if for you this pursuit of as you called it brutal honesty is something that you already had in your life or in your business or is it something that now you've experienced with the horses and you will maybe try to bring it in
1: well i I don't want all things to go back to jiu but I could talk about jiu-jitsu being an experiment in brutal honesty. And the reason is because, and this has been the last 11 years or so, jiu-jitsu has, unlike other martial arts that I've been a part of, there's no like wild kicking in the air and there's no real fancy moves that you can kind of practice and wave around and look good at a distance. It's basically taking someone's body in your hands and there is nothing that you would hold back on. It's 110% of the effort, which means like we're not striking someone. So you're not going to like through quickness, try and get a quick strike to the face. That's boxing. That's something different. And so it's grappling, it's wrestling and it's real. In other words, if there's a very large man and he tells me that he cannot continue because he's, he's a like his arm will break. Or like if he literally passes out unconscious, there's something very real about that. And I don't need a referee to give me points. You know, I, you watch the Olympics and sometimes the artistic events, like ref, you know, judges give them scores and one person loses it's like, Oh, the score should have been higher. And why did they lose? But in jujitsu it's like the other partner just gave up, like pretty clear no matter how big. And I was, I was training last night. And so I was having a hard time and I've gone to a, a new gym. The caliber of instructors is higher. The, the training partners is higher. I kind of want to get like my master's degree. Like I've got the undergraduate degree and now I'm moving to a different place for my master's. And at one point towards the end, the instructor, he said, He said, Patrick, how many times have you come this week? And and the implication was not enough. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't go last week either, partly because I had this event that I was all occupied in planning. But I have a shoulder injury, and it's kind of aggravating. And so I'm like the tension of resting or recovery, and it's hard for me to give myself the rest. And anyways, how many times have you been coming this week, Patrick? Not enough because I was struggling. It felt very real. There wasn't any illusions about that. And so I think that with the sense of you carry that around in your day-to-day experience of having a very clear sense of kind of where you are in your capacity. And the the men, some women I've been in relationship with in a jujitsu training sense, I know and feel intimately connected to them. It's brutally honest there's no posturing because it's super clear where people are in the relationship to one another. And I found that so refreshing. It's like, it's deeply nurturing to me to be around other men who have dropped the posturing and are willing to put themselves in a situation that is brutally honest and everyone around the room can see it. And I found, for example, like, you know, I'm kind of a senior guy at this context. And, there are young men who will come in and they're beginners. Of course. And maybe they're very physically fit and maybe they're used to being successful in their athletic. And then they put themselves in a situation where they're not very successful. And, and it's hard. And there are some very remarkable physical sort of specimens and Maybe they're in law enforcement, you know, and they're used to being like in control. And then there's this older guy like me who kind of, you know, ties them up in knots and they kind of give up and like they had to give up and slightly embarrassing, but it's supposed to be in a space that is safe, uncomfortable, but safe. And that's also something that I think is very well articulated by um, in the dynamic with horses, You want to be safe with the horse. The horse needs to feel safe with you, but you can kind of probe the developing of a relationship that can put you in a feeling of a little bit uncomfortableness. And likewise for the horse, like this example of this one horse, I was, my group was kind of doing more work with. I think they called it feral. No, you say it's wild. It is not comfortable with being touched at all. And yet after that weekend, it's a lot more comfortable being present with us. And someday, none of us were able to touch that horse. But boy, that horse is through this experience, I think a lot more settled and present with humans. And so in Jiu Jitsu, too, the example I see of these, say, three young men, or they start, they wanna hurry and catch up to not being a beginner anymore. And so, you know, I was saying, I, I took last week off and had this kind of nagging shoulder injury and whatever, but there are young guys who might come to class every day. And then there was someone that I was training with and he was coming to class in the morning and then in the evening. And he's hoping like to get better sooner. And boy, he doesn't like losing all the time, but it's the nature of having a beginner status. You know, he's got a white belt because it tells everybody that he's just beginning and he doesn't like that at all. But, he, you know, so his strategy is, I'm going to come in the morning and I'm going to come in the evening. I'm going to work harder and get better better at this just as fast as I can. It's so vulnerable to be a beginner and not skilled in this.
0: I love what you said about this being an uncomfortable but safe space. And I guess the safety there comes from the idea that indeed you can't hide, right? You can't pretend because it's so brutally honest in a way. And so I'm curious if you have used that framework or that understanding in other aspects of your life, be it business or personal relationships, do you strive for this uncomfortable but safe space through radical honesty or brutal honesty?
1: I mean, I would hope so, but I would admit that that framing of it came out of some recent conversations that I've had with Tim Joe about natural lifemanship. And that's the way he's described it. And so you know, I interviewed him on, on my Easier Business podcast, and he helped express that idea in a way that makes so much sense to me. But I, I do see the analysis, analogy to like employees. I, I would want my employees to be feeling like they're being asked to do more than they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. But the safety comes from the fact that it's okay to be imperfect. Mm. And one of the things that I like the way Tim describes it is there can be room for some grace. And so I, I myself, I would, I would like to be better at making room for some grace in the relationship.
0: Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I've been in consulting and many, many different businesses for a long time. And I've witnessed many managers or business owners who don't really allow that. And what I mean is the absence of some grace in the relationship, it looks like mocking in a conference room or a team meeting. Hmm. Mocking can be a little bit like not quite so, it's shaming, Sure. That's what we're talking about. But like with a, a joking kind of quality that makes it feel like, oh, I'm just teasing you, but I'm really mocking you in front of others. Mm. And you're learning that you're being imperfect is resulting in shame. And I hope you remember the shameful feeling that you're experiencing in front of others right now. You don't screw up again.
0: Yeah, there's this book I've been reading that I think maybe you would like. It's called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And a lot of the things you speak about seem to be quite aligned with this particular, um, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a vision of you know what leadership could be like. Um, and I've, I've certainly learned a lot from the book, and I've been trying to practice it with my team. It's been really helpful. I like that. Yeah, um, we're coming close to the end of our conversation, sadly. Time always flies when you're having a good time. I'm curious if there's anything specific that, when you think about your relationship with yourself, still feels difficult for you.
1: The difficulty for me would be, there could be so many things I could list. But I think what also comes to mind is, is the need for rest. And my acknowledgement of that, and how I relate to myself, I expect more of myself. And my capacity to make the space ahead of time to rest is pretty, pretty limited. Like, I'll rest after collapsing in exhaustion, but why wouldn't it be better to have planned ahead and not feel like that was something I had to react to and catch up on? And that's what comes to mind right now when you ask me. And maybe that's not as, you know, is that what you mean? It's we like, so relating to self. That's something for me that's very alive right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's 100% relating to self. Like the way you allow yourself to rest or the way you build in moments of rest in your routine is definitely how you treat yourself, right? I think sometimes relating to self is a is a bit abstract as a as a term, but I think if you think about how you treat yourself or how you show up to yourself, for example, when you make a mistake. Is your inner dialogue with yourself graceful? Is it like, oh yes, I'm human, I made a mistake, it's okay, I will learn from it. Or are you angry with yourself and like, oh shit, I made a mistake again, this should never happen, you know. That is relating to self. So when you speak about the need for rest and how you sometimes don't acknowledge that need that you have, that is definitely something that I would say like, yes, this could be an improvement to your relationship with yourself if you were more aware of your need for rest that's that's a beautiful thing to improve great well patrick thank you so much for this conversation um before we part i would like to ask you if people can connect with you somewhere if they're interested in your journey or what you're doing um, where would you direct them
1: well i think a lot of my attention is at easierbusiness.com today and that would be a place they might start
0: Yes, I hope your next venture will be called (laughs) easierlife.com because that is something, you know, and I think these things are aligned actually. I've always found it quite strange to separate business and life so much. Like For me, these things are much more intermingled and I guess easier business will make for an easier life as well. But that's great. I will put a link to easier business in the show notes so that people can find you and I wish you a beautiful rest of your day, Patrick.
1: Thank you, Joachim. I've enjoyed our conversation.
0: If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks.